Good morning. Kicking off a new series today. Um, spending six weeks on Easter. Six weeks. Christmas only gets four. Easter gets six, right? <clears throat> sure you guys are all running around buying your Easter gifts with the same enthusiasm you did at Christmas, right? Your houses are already decorated. You're tired of Easter carols. And it just bug, bugs me. It really bugs me. And I get it, honestly. It get, I get it from my mother. I inherited this irkness. Okay, I, I, I inherited it. She wrote an entire book of Easter activities uh, for kids. An entire book called Easterific. I'm not plugging. You don't have to go buy the book. But they, they, she wrote an entire book. One of her, like, 14, whatever it is, is about Easter activities. Right? She, like, purposely did not choose to do ones on Christmas because she wants to bring... Uh, the magnifying glass onto Easter, that Christ died for our sins and rose again, that he defeats death. This is a big deal, right? This is a big deal. And I should have maybe got an amen on that for somebody. I don't know. I know we're not maybe a a big amening church, but that one deserves it, okay? (laughs) Thank you, Brian. All right. Um, So what we've done, my wife and my my mother, we have in-house curriculum writers. They actually write it for another company, but... um, we get to be the test tube that uh, that company uses um, to see if the curriculum works. So back in the back. Um, so if you don't like something that's going on back in the back in the curriculum, talk to me. Don't talk to no. I'm just playing uh, Kelly or or Tina. But they have been writing the curriculum and um, and they're we preparing for Easter and and I said, you know what, we're doing a six week series. And my mom immediately perked up in her head. Well, we could do more Easter stuff. Um, and so what we've done is taken my series and their Easter curriculum, and they've even created extra, um, extra <clears throat> lessons back there, so they will mirror us exactly. They will deal with the same things we're dealing with on each Sunday. So uh, conversations around the dinner table should be really, really easy, because you will know what they're talking about. Uh, so, and then we can, we can go b- back and forth with that. So I really want to uh, encourage you to have those conversations with your children. Uh, as we deal with Easter, because there's so many, like, what is going on here? There's so many activities, so many events that happen in this week um, that we really need to break it down and kind of slow it down a little bit, and that's what we'll be doing here uh, for the next six weeks. I am thrilled to start it out, um, and with the the triumphant entry, or Palm Sunday. Today's Palm Sunday, except we got a long way to go before we actually get there. Uh, that's what we're going to deal with uh, this morning. So if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 and 20. Um, Luke 19, there's a lot that happens there, so it's in the back of Luke 19. Um, just kind of put your finger there, we'll be kind of perusing it um, and going along with it. There's a lot that happens in these moments um, and in this time. The triumphant entry is really not just it's one specific amazing event that we'll talk about in a second, but it's also a few days. It's basically all the days leading up to Thursday. 
There's this huge idea going on there because um, Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem as this conquering hero, hailed as king. People are throwing palm branches in front of him and they're taking off their coats. And so, so he will, in a traditional way of when a conquering king came in, that's what the people of the city would do. And they would throw their, their coats down so he could ride in on a donkey or horse or whatever it is. Uh, and that's, that's what tradition was. So you have that happening on the entry. And then five days later, you have the people shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. What happens in five days to turn public opinion that quickly against someone? And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today and how we're going to go into this. Uh, I, I've been struggling all week long with this message because there's great content in this scripture but I kept on coming back to this question, what does it have to do with me? What do I do with this? Yay, he rode in on a colt, on a donkey. Good for Jesus. What do I do with it? I, I really struggled with that. And I think maybe that comes out of I know the story so well. You know, I've read it so many times, gone through so many Easter services, done so many Good Friday services, so many Monday Thursday services. That it just gets kind of rote. It gets very re- repetitive. Okay, it's one of these things. What does it have to do with me? And as I discussed with myself, which I often do, being an only child, it's really easy to talk to myself. Um, As as we kind of, I explore, we, there wasn't we going on in there. (laughs) I promise, promise, not yet anyway. Um, As I kind of explored that and and dealt with that, um, the what does it matter to me started to come out and and come out of that scripture and... um, be pretty impactful, and I hope it is for you as well today. So that's kind of where we're going today, and we'll just, uh, each one of those little icons that were up there, uh, we'll kind of dissect each one of those as we go along in the next coming weeks. Sound like a plan? So every week from now until Easter will be Easter, okay? And uh, that's really exciting. I even got a thumbs up. Hoorah! The main idea that we'll be talking about uh, for the next six weeks is the week of Easter is the moment the world changed which causes your world to change. The moment, or the week of Easter is the moment the world changed, which causes your world to change. It's when Jesus says, I want more for humanity. I want more for you. I desire more for my creation. And I am willing to do anything so that they can have it. This is when God himself interjects and says, you know what, the human condition is this, and I'm not satisfied with it being like that anymore. This is the time when the world changes. So what happens to people when the world is faced with the king of the universe coming? How do people react? How do people respond when the king of the universe walks into town? Because that's what's happening here. That is literally what's going on when Jesus gets on that colt and rides through the gate. The king of all creation is making his entrance for his greatest act. Luke chapter 19, verse 28 to 44. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead and going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, and no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. 
If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as they had told him. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? Why are you stealing my horse? Uh, They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is he, it is the king who comes to the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you... If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now is hidden from your eyes, the days will come upon you when the enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, and you and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another, because they did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. What is going on here? What does this matter to us? I think they have. we have some commonalities with the people, the people that are yelling and screaming and the populace who's excited about Jesus coming in. Because you you have to, there's been this turning point. And when Jesus makes this decision a couple months later, and he orients himself towards Jerusalem, and there's this walking from a mountain in the north part of Israel down to Jerusalem, everything different. The very way he speaks is different. The miracles he does just start to grow and grow and get bigger and get bigger. And they culminate here in uh, Lazarus being raised from the dead. You can imagine people are a little excited when dead people keep on coming out of the ground, right? Things are exciting here. The tax collector Zacchaeus has just changed his whole life around. Things, huge things are happening and people are kind of in amazement of what is going on here. What happens to people They have expectations when the king of the universe arrives. And you can't really fault them for having expectations, but they have them. I think it's funny, we do the same thing. We have expectations for God. These people have expectations for God. The problem is, should we have any expectations for God? Because expectations mean that we can control him in some fashion, The same thing for them. They think that they can control God. They need Him for a certain reason. This is the same Israel people that for thousands of years, if you're in uh, our men's group on Monday night in Judges, the question is, why do these guys keep on messing up the same exact way over and over and over and over and over again? These guys are dumb. Yeah, we do the same thing, right? I say that, and the guys get all quiet, for, just like you did in, the, in here. It's fun. But, with, but Israel has been doing this from day one. Okay, God, save us. Okay, God, save us. God, save us. We messed up. Please save us. God comes in, saves them. About two seconds later, God, save us. We screwed up. God, save us. God, save us. We screwed up. Where is Israel at in this moment? They are occupied by an enemy force, the Romans. We've talked at length to this. If you... Uh, come here to Shorewood on a regular basis, you know that we, we talk about this Roman occupying force a lot because it has huge emphasis on how the scripture is written and what it means. The people find themselves 
in a bad situation, occupied by a pagan government, that their religious rights are totally uh, incoherent with Yahweh worship, with God worship. And so you have this, this, this problem. The real big problem is that the Jewish people invited the Romans in. So not only are they have a, a problem as a nation, they have a problem as a people, they have a, a problem of they need to be delivered, is that they caused this very deliverance problem. They invited the conqueror of themselves into the land. I wonder if we find ourselves, we look at our lives, we look at the issues that we have, we look at the problems that we have, we look at the state of our marriages, the state of our relationships, the state of the relationships with our kids, the state of our our work relationships. Did we invite the conqueror in? And do we find ourselves like, God, save me, 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 God, save me. Which he's more than happy to do. Just might look a little different than you're expecting. These people have expectations. They are expecting Jesus to start the conquering process. This is Passover week. The majority of the Jewish population has come all over the world. They have come for this week. What better time to start a revolt when the whole population has come home? And think about it from their perspective. What has Jesus shown mastery of? If you're a military commander, what are the things that cause you problems? The weather, food, sickness, and people dying. Jesus' miracles do what? They raise the dead from life. How easy is it to fight for somebody like, oh, if I die, right? It's like a video game do-over. Oh, we'll just start it over. I could go to war for that one, you know. Wasn't too big. A lot of my really good friends served in the military. I was kind of a little squeamish about that one for myself. Death, big deterrent. But it'd be a lot easier to sign up. A lot easier to go to, you know, if there's a draft. Oh, it's okay. My, my commander's just going to... I don't want to be hungry. Oh, well, he takes some loaves and some fishes. and Everybody's got food all the time. No ration problems. Healing. My arm's off. I don't know if it has a sound effect, by the way. <laughs> I'm really struggling not going into a Monty Python bit at the moment. Um, just let that sit. <laughs> All right. Um, what was the other one? The, uh, the weather. The roads are getting a little muddy. Let's just part that. There's a river in the way. I got that. Do you understand that? I mean, these people know Jewish history. They're, they're like, hey, I could go to work for this guy. If anyone's going to beat the Romans, if anyone's going to beat the ultimate military force in the history of mankind, it's this guy who can control the weather, can control sickness, can control food, can control death itself. This guy is awesome. I want him to be my Messiah. And those are the expectations that they're bringing to the table. So when we ask ourselves, how can they get so mad in five days? It's when God doesn't meet their expectations. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we get really, really mad at God, it's when He doesn't meet our expectations either. Our expectations of God can be the greatest limits of what He's doing 
in your life, our life. Our expectations of God can be the greatest limits in what he is doing in your life. Maybe in your life where you feel you need God, he is actually saying, I have something bigger, something better, something grander planned for you. What do you do with this? I think it revolves around prayer. If you missed uh, either one of the last two weeks, uh, they're up on the website, and the website messages are back in action. We have a new, brand new website. Um, it's all uh, good to go. And you can actually, it's all podcast now, so you can just download them. And if you know you're going to be gone for a vacation or whatever, they'll just automatically drop into your iTunes, which is really, really nice. Um, Kevin's worked really, really hard getting that ready to go. I don't normally plug my own messages, but these last two on prayer were really good. Um, on, on good job, God, because that was like, oh, that's good stuff. Um, my mom emailed me this week. She, heard, she listened to it. And she's, she emailed me back. If you were here last week, you understand what I'm saying. It was kind of a cool moment. Um, but um, my mom, uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my mom is my biggest uh, fan, but also the biggest faith issue that I have because of her illness. And uh, last week was uh, dealing with what, what God says no, um, basically, to you. And um, I would really encourage you, if you struggle with that kind of stuff, to listen to the last two messages. Anyway, the answer of what we do with God coming as a king uh, of the universe into our lives revolves around prayer. We have to pray with honesty to say, God, how, do I, how am I open to whatever you have for me? Pray that you would be open to whatever God has for you. Because I'm really, when I pray, I'm only open to the things I want. But pray that we would be open to whatever God has for us. God, whatever you really want. See, that's a bigger prayer. Not just what I want, God, but whatever you want for me. And that may look different, may smell different, may, may taste different than what you're expecting. Pray that you would have the courage to step into it. It's one thing to know what you're supposed to do. It's a whole different one to actually do it. Is it not? I know I should do that right now, but it's not going to happen. That's inconvenient. I do that with lawn care a lot. But we do it with serious things as well, do we not? I need to have that conversation with my son. I need to have this. I need to do that. I need to pray for courage. And pray that you'd have the wisdom to see it. Pray that you would have the wisdom to see it. What's another reaction that people have when they see the king of the universe show up in their lives? They are disappointed. Just a few verses later, this is what happens. Luke 20, verse 19. The teachers of the law, but it happens there. Rabbi, they're not going to call him Messiah, they're not going to call him Savior, they're not going to call him anything like that. This big percussion's coming down, right? And all these people are screaming, whoa, taking their clothes off and throwing them at Jesus. That's not as weird as it sounds. Um, They are are just so excited that God has come. What that is is a symbol of, if I'm willing to give you my outer garment, my cloak, I'm saying that you are my king, that I will acquiesce to you, that you are in control of me, that I will give you my very protection 
I give my protection to you and you can walk on it. So that's what's going on there. I know it's kind of weird. Why are people taking their, their jackets off and throwing them on the ground? This makes no sense. Well, it's a, it's a symbolic gesture that goes back for thousands of years. Whenever a, a conquering king came in, he would, they would, the battle would be over. And then uh, the king would come in in this triumphant kind of ceremony thing. And uh, they would, everybody would see him, but it was kind of, you need to present something down in front of him to say, I submit to your authority. And so that's what's, that is an ancient symbolic thing. This happened for Solomon when he entered Jerusalem the first time, and several of the other kings that's mentioned in the scriptures. But this is ancient practice. Does that make sense? It's kind of just one of those weird things. You're like, why are they doing that? I don't understand. Um, the little kids are waving palm branches, and they will today. You probably get one to take home, and you're like, what is this thing? And that's, that's what it symbolizes. They're disappointed. Um, so they told him, Rabbi, tell your, kid, you tell your people to be quiet. And then just a few verses later, they say, the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked at a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Basically, this happens, and they start conniving on a way to get him arrested. They send their smartest people out to try to catch him in something. And so the next two chapters in Luke are all about these guys trying to trick Jesus. When you're the master teacher, it doesn't work very well for them. But that's what their job is, is try to to make Jesus stumble, to make Jesus incriminate himself. And they can't get it to happen, so what they resort to is they just start lying about him. And that's what happens, and... But this is the response when we're disappointed with God, I think. And this is what their response is when they're disappointed with God, is they resort to trying conniving and lying and coming up with their own way. They kill him because he is not what they want him to be. He dies for them because of who he is. They kill him because he's not what they want him to be. There's been times in my life where I wanted to walk away from my faith. There might be roadblocks in your faith where you go, I can't buy into this whole Jesus thing because this happened or that happened or these things are going on in my life. But the truth of the matter is that we deny him or we kill him because he's not what we wanted him to be. The beautiful part of that is he dies for us anyway because of who he is and how much he cares for us and how much he loves us. question for you, I guess, is your disappointment with God based out of who he is or who you are? Now, that's a real question. That's a hard question. That might take some wrestling. I think we can even be a Christian for a long time in our life, and this can wreck our faith. It can be a huge stumbling block in our faith. That because things haven't worked out, because things aren't going the way we wanted them to, because everything's not honky-dory, 
we're willing to walk out on God. But, is your disappointment with God based out of who He is or who you are? Jesus' sacrifice is not only for His friends, but for the people who want to kill Him. Think about that. It's, it's easy. We've heard stories. We give Medal of Honors to people who die for their friends or do something courageous to save their friends. But we don't often see stories of that guy saved the enemy. That guy saved the, guy, the guys who were trying to shoot him. That guy stood up for all the people who were trying to destroy them. But Jesus is, is different, isn't he? The king of the universe operates on a different scale. His sacrifice is not only for his friends, but for the very people who are trying to kill him. What do you do with this? Pray that you can see your trials through God's eyes. Pray that you have the strength to get through the hurts. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is the father who uh, is losing his son, I believe, or daughter, and says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. She's dying. I believe that you can fix them, but I, I might have a little unbelief, so help my unbelief. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Maybe that's a prayer that you need to pray today. Maybe that's a prayer that you need to, to work through yourself. God, I believe. Help my unbelief. Pray that you would have the wisdom to learn from them, being the trials and the pain. They try, one of the, the third response is that they try to do it better. Well, you're not the Messiah that we wanted. You're not the God that we wanted. You're not doing this the way in which we wanted it to happen. So we're going to do it ourselves. No one here ever tries to circumvent God and do it ourselves, right? No one has ever tried that. No one's tried to ever rush God's plan along. We would never do that. That was sarcasm. <laughs> Just be perfectly clear. We do that all the time. There's some interesting thing going on, like contextually in the scripture here. And I want to take you through that real quick, but it's really interesting the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, they both get together. The Sanhedrin is, is, is both of the different kind of uh, the Republican and Democrats of the Jewish people, okay? And they get together, and they're the ones going, all right, we've got to take care of this issue. Because you don't like it. The only thing they can agree on is they don't like Jesus. Okay, that's basically how, how this goes. And they say, we've got to take care of this issue. And it's very interesting how this, how this plays out. Luke 20. Verse 20, keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right. They're buttering him up. And that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He saw through the duplicity and said to them, Show me a denarius, which is a Roman coin. 
right? With this, this idea of uh, just a, a gold or uh, silver coin. Caesar, or, sorry, show me denarius whose image and inscription are on it. Caesar's, they replied. He said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. They were unable to trap him in what he said there in public and astonished by his answer, and they became silent. As they approached, and then we're going back to Luke 19, verse 41. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known this day, what, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come when you and your enemies will build embankments against you, encircle you, and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Okay, what's going on here is, I just learned this this week. This is really interesting. The Sanhedrin is actually in charge, and the Romans have given them authority. They're the ones that collect the taxes. So we've spent a lot of time talking about tax collectors, how they were basically like the, the, uh, the mafia of the day, the baddest of the bad. The same guys that the Pharisees and the Sadducees all uh, kind of... Uh, want to shun and, and make fun of and push away are the guys that they are hiring to do the dirty work. Why do they hire them? Why would the Romans go to the Sanhedrin and say, you guys are going to collect the tax for us? Because they have the most to lose. Because the threat is, Sanhedrin, if you do not collect this tax for us, we will destroy your temple pretty good blackmail. The Sanhedrin's response is, how much do you want? This is Israel we're talking about. If you've read the scriptures, if you looked at the Old Testament stories at all, the people are faced over and over and over and over and over and over and over with a choice. Are you going to trust yourselves or are you going to trust God? And once again, when faced with an opportunity for the people to say, no, I'm going to trust my Lord. I'm going to trust God. We're not going to pay you this tax. We're not going to prostitute ourselves to you, Rome. What do they choose to do? Yes, sir. How much would you like? When Jesus talks about every stone being torn apart and building a ramp up to it, he's prophesying over Jerusalem within 30, a few odd years, Rome will come in, and what do they do? They destroy the temple, and there's not a stone left on Temple Mount. It's gone, wiped. All the people are taken away from there or killed. It's gone within 30 years. All their protection, all their choices, all their selling out of themselves to Rome did not save them anything. It bought them a few years. And I wonder when I, when I think about myself and I think about maybe the compromises that I've made, have they ever panned out? Have the lies I've told or the, the things I've, I've done to cover up and to make myself look better, have they ever panned out to really protect myself?
I have, when dealing with this scripture, I get so easily frustrated with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And you guys don't have a clue what you're doing. But as I ask the question, what do I do with this? I find myself there. I find myself, I'm just trying to protect my family. I'm just trying to provide for my family. I'm just trying to do this. I'm just trying to do that. And the more that we, we get into that, I have to control the situation. I can do it better than God. The farther and farther and farther away from God we get. And all we're doing is inviting destruction into our lives. Just as the Pharisees and the Sadducees invited the destruction of the temple by letting Rome come in. What do we do with this? We pray that we recognize where we try to play God. This is an important prayer. Pray that we would recognize where we try to play God. Pray that we would run from our control issues and into the arms of God. Gave you a big prayer list for this week. Pray that we would run from our control issues and into the arms of God. What is our response to the king is here? What is going to be our response? Because I don't want it to be just having a bunch of expectations for God. I don't want it to be disappointment anymore. And I don't want to say, fine, I'll do it myself, God. What is our response to be to the king is here? It should be a response of adoration and submission. It should be one of submission. They did have it right. Taking off their cloaks and saying, you are the conquering hero. Wow. How do we keep that in our lives? How do we have that response to God? To say, you are, because if we really have the control, if I really will take off my cloak, if I really will throw it at your feet, what does that mean for me? What does that look like for me? Maybe in some of the things I've talked about today, it struck a chord with your heart. Yeah, I, I am disappointed with God. I have all kinds of expectations for him. And maybe you think, yeah, I kind of try to control God in these times. Maybe it's time for you to say, okay, the king is here and he can take control of it all. The king is here and he can have it all. The king is here and he can have my issues. He can have my problems. He can have my funny personality. He can have it all. The king is here. The king is here and he loves you. The king is here and he has a plan for you. The king is here and he wants to reclaim you. The king is here and he wants to empower you to change the world. The king is here and he wants a relationship with you for now and all eternity. The king is here and he wants to take your pain and turn it to joy. The king is here, and it may not be what you thought it would look like, smell like, taste like, but he has a plan and a purpose for you that is greater than you can dream. He is a God that delights in making the old new, the lost found, and the broken fixed. He's a God that cares so deeply about you that he submitted himself to torture 
and to death so he could have relationship with you. I'm in awe of that. As we spend all this time on Easter, as we spend these next weeks on Easter, I don't want to take any of it for granted. I don't want to take any of it fast. I don't want to take it like, oh, it's the Easter story. I'm going to eat some peeps. I don't want that. I want to fully go, God, do you have a bigger, better life for me? Do you have a better plan for me? Do you have a restoration for me? No matter if you've been a Christian for 50 years or you're going, I don't know about this whole God thing right now. He has a plan for you and a purpose for you and is wanting to restore you into all you can be. I want to step into that this morning and maybe you want to step into that today as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for this moment and thank you for this time. Thank you for this, what you're showing me in the scripture. And God, I hope that I've done you proud this morning in showing this church the scripture. God, for those of us that are, we feel like something needs to change in our life. We feel like something has to be altered in our life, that something is broken and we need it to be fixed. God, right here, right now, we want to say, God, will you be my king? Will you enter my life? Can I just throw myself at your feet? To say, Abba, Papa, Daddy, fix it. God, we don't want to put expectations on you. We don't want to tell you how to do your job. We just want to step into all that you could have for us. Right now, maybe it's for the first time, and maybe it's for the second or third time. God, if we need to rededicate our lives, if we need to come to your throne, if this moment right here in this time, we need to say, God, take my life and be my king. I've messed up. I've thrown junk in there. I've I've destroyed all that you've given me. But God, I want you to reclaim me, restore me, remake me. If that's you right now, God, guys, I I just pray that you would say, God, be my king. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of all the messes I've made. I want to step into the life you have for me, the life you've prepared for me, the life that you've always wanted for me, Lord. I want something bigger, better, grander than maybe I could ever even dream. Lord, save us. Lord, we love you. And we're trying to love you more. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.